0: On this Sunday after Resurrection Sunday, we are continuing our series on the upside down kingdom. And as we've been talking about for the last five weeks, if the coming of Jesus Christ and his life and his death and his resurrection turn this world upside down through the ushering in of this kingdom, it makes... A case that we need to spend some time talking about what type of kingdom has Jesus established through the resurrection. If the resurrection, as we talked about even last Sunday, is the monumental event in all of history, if it is the centerpiece of Christianity and the centerpieces, as I said last week, of everything that we say and do here at Coral Ridge, it's important for us to take a step back and ask, What does this kingdom look like in all of its facets? And what I want to do this morning is I want us to look at the community... The community of people that is established, that is created in light of the resurrection, in light of the upside-down kingdom, what type of community of people is God creating and establishing and fostering together, both in the world and even here at Coral Ridge? What does this new community, the new community of the upside-down kingdom look like? And to do that, we're going to look at select verses from what is known as the Sermon on the Mount. Sermon on the Mount preached by Jesus from Matthew 5 to Matthew 7, really talks a lot about the kingdom of God and what this kingdom looks like, the shape of it, the function of it, who who makes it up, what do the people look like. So we're going to look at a few verses at the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, verse 21 through 24, I believe, and then we're going to look at Matthew chapter 7, the end of the Sermon on the Mount, the first six verses, one through six. So Matthew chapter five, verse 21 through 24. It says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable of judgment. But I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable of judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool be liable to the hell of fire. So if you're offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother has something against you, leave your gift before the altar and go. First be reconciled to your brother and then come to the, and offer your gift. Come to terms quickly with your accuser while you're going with him to court lest your accuser hand you over to the judge and the judge to the guard and put you in prison. Matthew chapter 7. Verse 1, judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you will, you will use it, you will be measured to you. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but you, but you do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there's the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye. And then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your own brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy. And do not throw your pearls before pigs. Lest you trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God, it stands forever. Amen. In 2015, writing for The Independent, Rebecca Harris wrote these words. She said, we are more connected than ever before, yet we've never been more lonely. We are more connected than ever before, but we've never been more lonely What Rebecca Harris was referring to is that we live in a day and age, and this was back in 2015, even more so today, but we are living in a day and age where innovation and technology and advancement has never inclined us and given us the opportunity to stay connected as much as we are today. We are connected at any instant, at any time, anywhere in the world. We can be connected to people through phone, and through cable, and through internet, and through social media, at any given point in time, we are connected to anyone we want to be connected to, at any time, anywhere, any place. But Rebecca Harris says, although we are so connected, more connected than we've ever been in the history of the world, there's never been more cases of depression, In the history of the world, there's never been more cases of loneliness and isolation. In the history of the world, there's never been more stories of people abandoned, left to die alone and isolated. Never in the history of the world have we been so connected, but never been so lonely. You see, what technology does is it gives us advancement, it gives us the tools, it gives us innovation. But what it never is able to do and never will be able to do is be able to substitute real, authentic, genuine, in-person, physical community with other people. No matter how much it advances, no matter how much innovation we see, no matter how much technology we have at our disposal, it will never be able to replace the authentic, genuine community of the people of God the way God has designed it. You see, God has given us this as a gift. See, when we come into worship and we gather together on Sunday mornings, when we gather in small groups, when we gather for lunch or dinner or for breakfast, when we gather in small groups or Bible studies, God gives it to us as a gift. And He says there's nothing, there's nothing in the world that could ever replace what you experience with other believers. Whether it's in a big group or a small group, there is something that is so unique To the gathering of the people of God in large and big, in large groups and in small groups. There is something so unique about the community of people that are established through the coming of the kingdom of God. And so, what does this unique, genuine, unable to replicate community of people look like in the kingdom of God? Well, we see it here in the few verses that we read. From the Sermon on the Mount, the first thing that we see here, and we see it not only in the Sermon on the Mount, but all throughout Jesus' Jesus's ministry here on earth, what we see is an unconditional community. What do I mean by that? You see, every single person in this room was born into a family, and you had no choice over the matter. You were born into a family, you were born maybe with siblings, and nobody asked you permission. Well, it's interesting here what happens in Roman, in Matthew chapter 5 is that Jesus starts to call people in the kingdom of God by a term that was only used for family. He starts calling them all throughout here, what? Brothers. If you see your brother do this, if you see your brother do that, well, I'm sure I can only imagine the people that are hearing this for the first time are saying, who are you calling brother? Who are you calling sister? Well, it's Even more interesting is it wasn't until Jesus came till God was referred to as our Father. You see, all throughout the Old Testament and all throughout the Jewish writings, all the, all, all of the extra biblical Jewish writings and Jewish traditions, God had never been referred to as Father until the coming of Jesus. But when Jesus comes, he says, I'm building a new community. And this community will now refer to God as Father. But get this, not only will you receive God as Father unconditionally, but you will receive other people as your brother and sister unconditionally. And what Jesus is saying by calling people in the community of God, brother and sister, He's sending this message that you can't accept God unconditionally as your Father and not accept and embrace others in your community. As brother and sister, you can't embrace God as father and fail to embrace others as brother and sister. It doesn't work that way. So, in our culture, in our society that is resistant to commitment and connection and wants to maintain privacy and independence, and even in the context of a church, say, membership isn't enough that I believe in Jesus. Why do I have to join a church? God says, no, 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 that's not how it works in my community. That's not how it works here. You can't embrace me as father and fail to embrace the people sitting to your left and to your right and in front of you and behind you as your brother and your sister. We receive one another. You are received into the family of God unconditionally and therefore we are now called to receive others as brothers and sisters unconditionally into the family of God. But not only do we see an unconditional community being established here by Jesus by way of the upside down kingdom a community that is unconditional, but we also see an intentional community. We see an intentionality being established here by Jesus, that the community that I established here on earth is not only unconditional, but it's intentional. And we see that here in verse 23 and 24. Jesus says, if you're offering your gift at the altar, so you're you're at the temple and you're worshiping, and this happens, and there you remember that your brother has something against you, Leave your gift at the altar and go and be reconciled. What's strange about this directive by Jesus is that the world says what? Our culture says, if your brother has a problem with you, don't leave. It's up to him to come to you. If your brother or sister has a problem with you, that's their problem. They know where to find you. They'll find you at the altar. But Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus says, no, 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 I'm establishing a new community. And this community does not wait for them to come to you. If you know that there is a problem with your brother or your sister... You pursue that relationship. You pursue that brother. You pursue that sister. You drop everything and you go after them because the community that I am establishing is an intentional community that does not wait for your brother or sister to come to you. You go after them and you reconcile them and then get this. And then what does Jesus say? You bring them back to the altar with you. That this is an intentional community that I am establishing, that you pursue reconciliation. Whether you've wronged them or they've wronged you, if you know there's a problem, you run after them and you bring them back and you say, I am not going to leave this place here until we are reconciled together. And once we're reconciled, guess where we're going? We're going to go back to the altar and we're going to worship God together. Because that's the type of intentional community that I am establishing here in the kingdom of God. An intentional community. And I ask you, for those that you know in your life, Maybe there's some people that you haven't seen here in church in a few weeks or a few months. Do you wait for them to come back to church? Or do you pursue them and wonder, where are you? You know people are struggling, whether it's through depression or through loss, maybe not even able to get out of bed in the morning. Do you wait? Well, I'll just wait for them. I'll give them their space. What Jesus says is there's no such thing as giving them space. The type of community that I'm establishing here says you run hard and fast after people to let them know that I am here for you, that I am here and I love you and I will pursue, pursue you. And we will be reconciled or I will help be a conduit or an ambassador or a broker of reconciliation with whatever is going on in your life. It is an intentional community. What Jesus is saying here is in the kingdom of God, superficial fellowship just won't work. It has to go beyond the surface where I get intentional into your life and you get intentional into my life. And I don't wait for you to come to me, but I go to you in order to attain reconciliation. And together, we will go back to the altar to worship. And so we see here an unconditional community. We see here an intentional community of pursuit of people and personal accountability. But we also see a balanced community. And the balanced community is found here in chapter 7. Look at Matthew chapter 7, the six verses that we read together. Jesus says, on the one hand, judge not. But at the end, at the the sixth verse, he says, do not give dogs what is holy or throw your pearls to pigs. Now, Jesus seems to contradict himself, doesn't he? On the one hand, he says, don't be judgmental. But on the other hand, watch out for those pigs and dogs. And you go... Jesus this is slightly problemat- problematic here. You he said, "Don't be hypocritical in your judgment of people, but you're going around calling people pigs and dogs. How do we reconcile that? Well, we reconcile it by understanding what is Jesus talking about when He calls people pigs and dogs. This is honestly harsh. Well, what was a pig and dog, especially in the context of the first century? We, we're full aware, most of us probably, of how a pig was viewed in the first century. You just don't have to look, look far in the Old Testament and know how uh, the Jews, especially in worship, viewed pigs. They were unclean. They were an abomination to God and to God's people. But a dog is a little confusing. We all, some of us have dogs. I don't have a dog, but... I know many of you have dogs, Uh, but when we think of dogs, we think of what? Cute, cuddly, domesticated animals. That wasn't the case in the first century. The dogs that Jesus is referring to are violent animals, violent, wild animals that could attack you at any time. And so what Jesus is doing in sharing as an example, a pig and a dog, particularly in the first century, he's describing animals that are uncontrolled. He is describing animals that have no master. He is describing animals that do not, are not obedient, that are living out of accord, that are doing whatever they want to do at any given time. And so what Jesus is saying by describing certain people and saying, beware, he's saying, use discernment. He's saying, there will be people in your life that you will begin to see living uncontrollably. You will see people in, their li- in your life, and you will see it and you will witness it that are on a path of self-destruction, that have no control over their life, have no mastery over their life, submit their life to no one, living out of accord with God, be discerning. And so what Jesus is doing here in Matthew chapter 7, he's saying this community is a balanced community. On the one hand, do not operate out of hypocritical judgment. Do not be a hypocrite and judge people. But on the other hand, be discerning and use wisdom. When you see people that are on a path of self-destruction, when you see people that you know are ruining their lives, when you, know, when you see people that are making decisions that you know will not end well, will you be the person that speaks up and are truthful in that person's life? Will you be that type of community? What he's saying is we have to be a community of both love and truth, that we are not judgmental on the one hand, but what that we use discernment and wisdom that we're able to enter into this community and say, I will operate with truth and love and with love and truth. That for, for me to give you truth without love is for me to fail to represent God to you. But to also give you love without truth is the most unloving thing that I can do in your life. That actually to fail to speak truth into your life is failing to truly love you because it ultimately says, I really don't care about you. So the question is, are we willing to be that balanced community? That community of love and truth and truth and love. That when we speak words of truth to people, it's done with love and with grace. But when we speak love to people, it's done with honesty and truthfulness. Sending a message that I care about you and so does God. That we would be that type of community. So the question is, if this is the type of community that God established, and this is the type of community, a community that is unconditional, a community that is intentional, and a community that is, a ba- that is balanced, then the question remains, what keeps us from experiencing this community? What, what prevents us at times from experiencing this community right here at Coral Ridge? What, what prevents us from experiencing this community in your own circles or in your own life? Well, going back to Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, when Jesus says, judge not, the word judge there does not mean examine. Some people have interpreted it and said, oh, well, I'm not even able to examine. No, God calls us to examine our own lives and the lives of others to use wisdom and discernment. But the word judgment here in verse 1 means condemnation. The word translated here, judge and judgment, means and is translated condemnation. And so, what Jesus is saying is that the community of God's people, the community of the upside down kingdom, there cannot be condemnation that exists in that kingdom. If condemnation exists in the community of the people of the upside down kingdom, then it ceases to be the community that I've established and that I desire. Why? Is it just because condemnation's bad? Is this just Jesus teaching us a lesson from right or wrong? Hey, don't be condemning the people. They won't come back to your church. Don't be condemning uh, people. Is this just a moralistic call or challenge from Jesus? No. It's way more than that. Jesus' call for there not to be condemnation in the community of God's people resides in this fact that in Mark chapter 14, when Jesus is led out, and stands before the council it says that Jesus is led out as a man condemned and when we read in Romans chapter 8 Paul says this this good news that therefore if anyone is in Christ there is no what condemnation There is no more condemnation. Why? There can't be because there has already been one and His name is Jesus Christ who stood condemned in our place. So the reason condemnation can't exist in the family of God, the reason condemnation can't exist here at Coal Ridge, the reason condemnation cannot exist in the community of of the upside-down kingdom is because there's already been one that took the condemnation for us and His name is Jesus He stood as a man condemned. See, the condemnation cannot exist in the upside down kingdom because the king has already come down and taken the condemnation for us. Therefore, there cannot be condemnation. A condemnation free community because we point our eyes to the one that took the condemnation for us. Larry was a counselor in Chicago. And he was counseling a 45 year old male. And to get to know him, he said, Tell me a little bit about your childhood. And this guy went on to explain his childhood that it was a scary childhood. We lived in an angry home, he said. And in this angry home, it was constantly you were in fear of being chastised and being ripped apart. Uh, that we constantly, our brothers and sisters, walked on eggshells. To give you a, an example, at dinner time, the, the time of the day what we dreaded the most, we would sit at the dinner table in fear and trembling. If you were even to accidentally knock over your glass of water, you would be chastised and scolded. And so every night, I would try to eat my meal as fast as I could and be excused from the table without being yelled at. And the counselor said, where would you go? He said, every night as I I finished dinner, I would sneak out the back door and I would go three houses down and I would crawl under the crawl space of the house just to listen to the family next door eat dinner and to hear their laughter. And the counselor said, what did you envision as you were stuck in that cross space? He said, I envisioned being a part of that family. I envisioned one day, one night, the father would actually come out see me in the cross space, pick me up and say, you are going to sit at my table. You are going to be a part of my family. And I even envisioned accidentally knocking over a glass of water and instead of being chastised, the father standing up and with a loud roar saying, go get my boy a new glass of water. I don't want him to miss a minute of this meal. He said, as a little boy... It was like getting a glimpse of heaven. And that glimpse of heaven is what God has given to us through his church. That glimpse of heaven is the community of the people of God. A little taste of heaven, a little glimpse of heaven that God has graciously given you and me in this community known as the Upside Down Kingdom. And the incredible thing, is that he invites all of us this morning to be a part of that community, the community of the Upside Down Kingdom, that you can actually have a seat at the table in the family of God. The problem is that the father of this family, the father's perfect, and to be a part of the family, he requires perfection. The good news is the perfect father sent the perfect son to lay down his life, to stand as a man condemned so that we might be invited graciously to sit at the table, to sit with the father, to be part of the family of God. And that good news is good news for you this morning simply by resting and trusting in Jesus and him alone through his life and through his death and through his being raised from the dead for our justification as a man condemned so that we would never experience the condemnation of the Father. That invitation stands for you this morning. Would you receive Jesus? Receive him in your life so that you can freely sit at the table as a child, as a son, as a daughter in the family of God.